0: Take control of your business finances today at concur.com. That's C-O-N-C-U-R dot com. It's brand new season two.
3: Join me, Emily Tish sussman every Wednesday on She Pivots. Listen to She Pivots on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Get in touch with technology with Tech Stuff from HowStuffWorks.com.
0: Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I'm Jonathan Strickland. And I'm Lauren Bokelbaum. And before we get into this, I just want to uh, alert listeners ahead of time. I've got a cold, so I'm going to sound a little weird.
4: He's, he's kind of raspy. <clears throat> it's a little bit Tom White.
0: Yeah. No, yeah the, the piano has been drinking and Jonathan has been on an airplane. So that's where we're at. Today's episode is brought to us courtesy of a little listener mail.
4: This one is from Daniel via actual email.
0: Yeah, apparently people still use that. By the way, guys, we've seen a big upswing in listener and email and Facebook and Twitter. We love it. Keep up the great work. Thank you
4: so, so much for sending. We we love every single note that we receive, even if we are too incredibly stressed out to respond to all of you. We love you. Thank you so much.
0: I'm trying desperately to get through all the backlog. So if you have written, I am working my way back to you, babe. Anyway, (laughs) Daniel, he wrote to us to say, I don't know if you did this before, but we've recently had the news that an online gaming streaming service called Twitch is surpassing live streaming services like Ustream, WWE Network, Livestream and other streaming services by volume. However, I don't really hear about it outside of gamer groups, which is odd to me. Can you all get into the details about how Twitch works, or maybe into live streaming in general? It's a growing trend in recent years. I can only see getting bigger as gaming audiences grow. You know what, Daniel? We agree. It's a great topic. It's one that's become I- incredibly important as of the week we're recording this podcast.
4: Oh right, because there. Okay, so there's this rumor going around, and at this point, it's a very strong rumor. Although the the Parties that are involved are still not commenting officially on it that Google in the form of YouTube is interested in purchasing Twitch for a billion dollars.
0: Yep. So, uh, this was a story broken by Variety originally, and then it was corroborated by the Wall Street Journal. Although again, no one from either Twitch nor Google is, uh, is commenting on the subject. By the time this podcast comes out, it may very well be that all of this is Supremely old news and that the, the deal has either been agreed upon or declined, but, uh, we don't, as we're recording this, don't know the outcome.
4: Uh, right. We're, we are recording this on May 22nd, 2014. And, um, and yeah, these, these two sources, by the way, Variety and the Wall Street Journal reported different stories, um, that the sale is already certain or that the talks are in early stages and that Twitch might just sell stake in their company instead of selling the entire company as a whole. Right. And even though, Official sources are not doing any talking about it right now. Anonymous sources have done a lot of talking. For for example, Verge reported that other companies, including Microsoft, were also courting Twitch but have been turned down. Um, at any rate, it's, it's a really interesting news item for, for both the, the gaming industry and the live streaming industry and, I guess, video on the Internet as a whole.
0: Yeah. And keeping in mind that video on the Internet is still a very young thing. Oh, right. I mean, it wasn't that long ago that you didn't have any sort of video hosting services. And the way you would get video on the Internet is that someone would save a video file and you'd have to download the whole thing to watch it. So this is a this is kind of showing the next step. In, in the, the world of video online. So we've got the pre-recorded stuff, which YouTube has got pretty sewn up, at least for user generated. Right. Then you've got, uh, the pre-recorded stuff that is made by studios and television networks. Now that's all over the place, like Netflix, Hulu, all that kind of stuff. And then you have broadcast, where you're doing a live streaming event, which is what Twitch and other services like Twitch are all about. So how does that work? Why is it such a big deal? And why, why would Google even be interested in it.
4: A little in one billion dollars worth of interested.
0: Yeah. So we thought we would first go into a little bit of history. We like to always look back into how things became what they are. So let's uh, let's just think we're not going to get into the uh, way back machine because this is pretty recent history. Uh, yeah. Lauren and I both lived through this history. Uh, it wasn't going on immediately around us, but we were technically alive while it was happening.
4: Yes, which is relatively rare for the two of us for lots of the history that we do on this show. Yeah,
0: there was a period in 1987 when I was dead to the world. So anyway, Twitch is kind of a first of all, it's a spinoff of another company. It's so in order to understand where Twitch came from. You have to go back a little further and look at the origin of this other company,
4: uh, Justin TV.
0: Exactly. Which was founded uh, by Justin Kahn, Emmett Shear Michael Seibel and Kyle Vogt. And so here's the thing. Even that company was the product of some other uh, some other work done by this group of people that didn't work out so much. You see, you had this group who created a, a web calendar a uh, software called Kiko.
4: This was from a, a group who had gone to Yale together. I think.
0: Yeah. And exactly. Formed,
4: formed the company soon after graduation.
0: And so they were approached by a uh, a brand new seed company called Y Combinator. And a seed company is all about finding startups to to finance to fund, hoping that those startups will blossom and therefore those investments will end up making huge returns. In in return, you also see these companies that otherwise might not have a chance, grow into something really interesting.
4: Uh, right. Part of that same batch was both Reddit and Infogami, which is one of those companies that was started by Aaron Schwartz.
0: Yeah. So amazing group of people, right? So not just the smarty pants folks behind Kiko, but these other groups as well. I mean, Reddit is now one of the <laughs> more popular sites on the Internet. It has a flourishing community, although it's a community that has its own uh, uh, issues and infighting. Well, yeah, I think the more popular Reddit gets, the more irritated the hardcore audience oh, gets. Oh, sure,
4: always. Yeah. But
0: same thing happened to Dig, so uh it'll be interesting to see what happens with Reddit. But that's a totally different podcast. So here's the thing about Kiko. Um, It was, according to Justin Kahn himself, not that great of a product. And the reason he gave behind that was that he and his fellow programmers didn't really need a calendar. He said, I was going to college. I had two classes. <laughs> I had classes on, on two days of the week and otherwise I was sitting around programming. So what the heck do I need a schedule for? I, it does, it's not useful to me. So since I didn't need it, I wasn't using it. And since I don't use it, the, the products we were making weren't very compelling. Sure. And then Google Calendar comes out and everyone's like, Ooh. well, yeah, so they decide what we're going to do is we're going to sell this company for as much as we can so that we can pay back our investors and then concentrate on something else. So, of course, they sold their company the way any sane person would. They listed it on eBay
4: <laughs> and it sold on eBay for some two hundred and fifty eight thousand dollars to a Canadian company called cows.
0: Yeah. Two cows. Two cows. Yep. Yeah. They have two cows, twice as many cows as someone who has one cow. So yeah, except it's spelled T U C O W S. But yeah, it's it's it was funny because they were going for just fifty thousand dollars. Wow, they wanted fifty grand. They were hoping they could get fifty grand. So they could pay off their investors, and and then they saw that it had hit eighty grand, and they thought, "Ooh, we got some walking money now." <laughs> and it finally sold for two hundred fifty eight thousand dollars on eBay.
4: All right, yeah, yeah, two two cows and a calendar <clears throat> app. That's, yeah. that's great.
0: I had no idea you could actually list a company on eBay. I didn't. The, the, the idea that that's involved in the terms of service blows my mind. Anyway, they successfully sell Kiko, and in two thousand seven, uh, Justin and Emmett pitched this idea of Justin.TV to Paul Graham. Paul Graham was the guy who founded the Y Combinator seed company. And the premise originally was not for some sort of live broadcast uh, uh, service for the general public.
4: Uh, right. It was sort of a curiosity. The idea was to just put a webcam um, basically on on Can's head. Yeah. And have it broadcast 24 hours a day, seven days a week. Yes. Yeah, so everything that he was doing.
0: So it was Justin. TV, Justin TV, yeah, right? It was, it was, it was a kind of life casting. Except instead of having the camera turned back on himself, it was more or less from his perspective. And a there's some can I
4: view? Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah. There's some great stories about weird things that happened and within the first week of going live. Apparently, his audience felt that uh, it was not the most compelling of of entertainment. That watching a guy sit in an apartment and code was not necessarily the most uh, interesting subject matter. Uh,
4: That it needed a little bit of spice.
0: So so they provided it. The audience provided the spice. This is where, you know, it's kind of like when you hear about a a, a news uh, outlet making the news. In this case, it was the audience making the content. How do they make the content? They contact the police and say that there was a report of a stabbing incident in Justin Kahn's apartment. So the police pay a little visit. By the way, this entire incident is preserved on YouTube if you want to watch it. And so you hear the cops knocking at the door. They come inside. They explain that they got a report about stabbing. Uh, pretty quickly Justin figures out, hey, the, it's our users who have decided that this is, this would be entertaining to watch. What a bunch of scamps. Um, (laughs) There were other incidents that were similar where they would call in fake fires and there were like six or seven fire trucks lined outside of Justin's yeah. apartment. Le-
4: legally culpable scamps. That's, yeah. Uh,
0: <laughs> so eventually they decided, hey, you know, this uh this uh, idea isn't working because Justin's just not interesting enough to keep everyone's attention. Uh, there were other incidents as well. There are plenty of videos online that explain the hijinks these guys got up to. Uh-huh. But. What happened was they decided this isn't sustainable. It's not entertaining. So what can we do? How can we modify what we've built into something that actually resonates with people? So they revisit the idea and they discussed different approaches. And they came up with this idea of using the Justin TV as a platform for other people to broadcast things live over the Internet so this was the democratization of live broadcast. YouTube had created the democratization of of uh, sharing video uh,
4: upload. Right. Sure. But.
0: but but you didn't you couldn't do live events on YouTube at the time. Uh, so what would what where would you go if you wanted to have like a live call in show, for example, uh, and you were using maybe Skype for people to call in so that you could answer questions live on the air? You didn't really have that option because people couldn't hear you and then respond to you in real time. Twitch or not Twitch but Justin TV was a chance of doing that. So it was kind of interesting. They said that the only reason they were able to do it is because while they had been uh, uh developing justin.tv uh they had advanced the technology to a point that brought the cost of streaming video down significantly to just in like a couple of cents or a couple of fractions of a cent uh for a minute of video which was important because, you know, depending upon how much bandwidth you were using, your ISP might be charging you quite a bit for it.
4: Oh, sure. Uh, But at that rate, with a combination of advertising revenue from um, from ads Mm -hmm. and also money from investors, they could kind of plug along.
0: Yeah, exactly. The ad supported videos helped them uh, recapture some of the costs. And they also got uh, some pretty significant uh, funding like their their first round. Uh, netted them about two million dollars they would later get i think 20 million a couple of years down the road so they were getting money from investors who said this is the future of this kind of internet delivery system uh, plus they were thinking ahead of how can we monetize this so that once once we get past that investment period how do we keep making money and that was through the uh, ad support so they began to think how can we uh, really make it easier for people to find the stuff they want because as more people join it gets crowded right and you're like well there's a ton of people on here but i'm only interested in one specific topic uh and so they started to make categories and things like people who wanted to talk about business or people who wanted to talk about fashion or people who wanted to talk about sports or video games And the video games category began to get incredibly popular, something that mystified Justin, by the way. Uh, You can watch video interviews, and he said, I just didn't get it. People were playing video games and streaming their video game experience online, and other people were watching it. What's up with that? He he was like, "I, I didn't understand it, but I realized that other people found it valuable, so we knew that it was something we had to look at. So they start thinking, well... You know, this makes a lot of sense. We've, we've got all these people who are, um, uh, watching stuff. We should try and take advantage of that. So they ultimately on, uh, June 6th, 2011, launched Twitch.tv in public beta as a completely separate brand. Now this was the idea of let's take that video game content that everyone is streaming and create a product specifically for that with tools built in to help people do that more smoothly so they don't have to create their own system at home to make it work. We're going to try and integrate it in as many different pr- approaches as possible so that more people can do this because it's clearly a runaway success story. Right. And it made much more sense to create a new brand than to just nestle it under Justin.TV. In fact, Twitch.TV was getting bigger than Justin.TV was.
4: Uh, yeah, they, they basically immediately found an audience. They started with some 3.2 million unique visitors per month.
0: Yep. Yeah, they... Uh, They've increased that a little bit.
4: Uh Yes. Uh, about a year later, they would hit 20 million unique visitors per month.
0: Yeah. And I think they're at 45 million currently. Right. So it is essentially doubled like year over year, uh, more than doubled on that first one. So it was pretty impressive. And, you know, keep in mind that back in June 2011, it was just in beta. It wasn't even the full release yet. Mm-hmm. So they started Having lots of like, there's certain games that that definitely drove participation. Starcraft two being a big one.
4: Anything that you can get uh, big tournaments going for.
0: Exactly. So, and, and you know, there are places like in uh, South Korea where Starcraft tournaments are like the Super Bowl is here in the United States. Sure. So you get these enormous crowds, live audiences watching these. Well, in, the, in here in the U.S., it just it never really caught on that way, mostly because production costs for something like that, if you wanted to televise it, were so high that you would have trouble getting the audience large enough to justify that expense. But the overhead for Twitch is way lower. Mm -hmm. I mean, you don't have as many employees, for one thing. Oh, sure. The infrastructure is, once you've made the investment, much less expensive than television. So. It was sort of the perfect platform for that. And it really took off.
4: Uh, it also allows the audience to talk to each other during the event in a way that that normal broadcast television obviously doesn't allow unless you invite a lot of your friends over.
0: Right. Or you have some app where you can watch the show and talk with other fans. But we've seen this over and over that television makes it, it it's really hard to get something like that to work from a television platform and port it over into an online interactive platform. Right. Uh, usually you see people just use either Twitter or Facebook for that kind of thing, mm-hmm. right?
4: And back in 2011, that wasn't so much the case quite yet.
0: No, no. You know, so this in this case, you have a platform that by its very nature allows for that kind of thing.
4: Mm-hmm. However, as of 2011, it still was not profitable and would not become. Pro- I, I think it technically has never been profitable for right. a full year. I They are estimating that as of 2014, it will be
0: right. But well, yeah, we'll you, we'll see. You have to get that great balance of ad dollars and user base mm-hmm. t- in order to make it profitable. And, and of course, the, the bigger it gets, the more of an investment you have to make in the company and in the infrastructure.
4: It. Right. Of yeah. course. Um, as of 2013, a few things that helped out greatly with that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, for one thing, you've got the fact that both Sony and Microsoft gave Twitch a big thumbs up.
4: Uh, right. They announced partnerships that would allow a, a native app on both of those gaming platforms to integrate Twitch TV.
0: Right. So uh, with the case of, of PlayStation 4, there's a button on the controller where you can start sharing what you're playing. It's a little more complex with Xbox One. Uh, and in both cases, it was a feature that was not immediately implemented as soon as the consoles came out, but was uh, implemented a little bit later on in the life cycle of those consoles I say life cycle. I mean, these things haven't even been out a full year yet. <laughs> yeah, it's really interesting to see that they were throwing their support behind this because they could see, both Sony and Microsoft could see that this this was a trend that was growing, that people were eager to share their experiences and more people were eager to to eat it all up. Right. So, I mean, I've watched playthroughs online. Of course, the playthroughs I watch tend to be done for for comedic purposes, where it's a bunch of guys who are playing who know each other really well. And they're really doing it as a way of, uh, entertaining other people. Like that's the whole purpose of it. They're not playing a game competitively against others, which is what a lot of the Twitch TV stuff's for. Mm-hmm. Not everything, but.
4: Also, you have, you have streamed yourself on Twitch, haven't you? I
0: did. I did for 25 hours straight. I did a stream of me just playing Minecraft. Ooh. It was. For the extra life charity, which raises money for, uh, to, to buy video games and video game systems for kids who are in hospitals. Mm-hmm. And, uh, so I was part of this. It was kind of like a pledge drive type thing. And, uh, for 25 hours, I played and, and streamed it live. And I always had at least one or two people watching. Sometimes I would have, you know, a, a few dozen watching uh-huh. at a time. Uh, and uh, I even had a thing where for certain levels of, uh, contributions, I would build uh, monuments within Minecraft and the more money you made, the bigger and more uh rare the monument would be like. The materials would be more rare. Uh-huh. So some people were incredibly generous and I had to go and find the rarest materials in Minecraft <laughs> within 25 hours and still build it. Like, I actually, I was like, all right, so for the first 18 hours, I'm just mining. Oh, my God. And then for the last seven hours, I'll be building So, uh, yeah, it was actually a lot of fun, but because of Twitch, I was able to stream it live and people could check in on me and see that I was actually doing this thing that I had said I would do. Um, and I also, you know, Got to have an ongoing conversation with folks through chat. Yeah. They would chat to me, and I would answer their questions live while playing.
4: And and kind of keep you motivated while you were doing this ridiculous marathon. Yeah,
0: sometime around the hour number 19 or 20, I definitely needed some more motivation. Yeah, that's, Not to mention coffee.
4: I think that's the wall that they talk about in marathoning. Um, In September of 2013, Twitch sold an undisclosed stake in the company to investors, raising that $20 million that you mentioned earlier. And, yep. and a lot of that went to supporting their rollout into the PS4 and Xbox One.
0: Yeah. Now, if you're looking at today's numbers, according to Mercury News, now this was astounding. Twitch.tv accounts for 44 percent of all United States live streaming online.
4: That's more than any other live streaming site, including ESPN, NBC Sports and YouTube Live. Um, This is all according to Quilt, which is a company that helps networks manage bandwidth demand for video online and announced that they had begun working with Twitch in April of 2014. Twitch TV receives more than 45 million unique visitors each month, which I think we mentioned before, but hoof.
0: Yeah, that's a lot. I mean, like, sure, if you look at YouTube, YouTube is getting a billion. Okay. But YouTube has Google behind it and is adding a hundred hours of footage every minute. Right, right. This is, this is considering that this is something that was a spinoff of another company and has only been around for, for less than four full years. It's phenomenal.
4: Yeah, and its users spend an average of 106 minutes per day watching streams, that, an
0: average. That is also insane. That's so not to spoil it, but that's going to come into play when we have our conversation of why the heck would Google want to spend a billion dollars on this?
4: Yes. To put all of this in perspective a little bit, in February of 2014, a company called DeepField, which does Internet data analysis for media companies like The Wall Street Journal, ran some numbers and reported that Twitch accounts for 1.8% of United States peak internet traffic, which places it fourth overall after Netflix, which stands at 32%, Google, 22%, and Apple, 4.3%. That also puts it ahead of companies like Hulu, Facebook, and Valve, all of which come in a couple tenths of a percentage point lower.
0: That's pretty amazing. I mean, now granted, these are all different things, right? Because with Google... It, the, the fact that 22% is Google is pretty impressive considering that that's
4: it's text-based.
0: Yeah. Yeah. It's not just, uh, uh, I mean, I guess Google that probably also includes YouTube. So that's probably some video in there too, but yeah, it's still impressive. The fact that, um, valve is so far back is also impressive because you're talking about like not just, uh, online gaming, but that's a gaming delivery service. You know, if people are yeah. buying games on steam, but, um, yeah, still pretty impressive. Well, We're going to next tackle exactly how this whole system works. But before we do that, let's take a quick break to thank our sponsor. Running a business is no cakewalk. There is a ton to keep track of. Employees to keep happy, spending to control, travel to plan. And on top of it all, nobody knows exactly what the future holds. Your finance team always has to be ready to change.
5: as important as choosing the right destination when traveling is choosing the right travel partner.
0: Jean, Eugene Fodor. Jean, we'll boot it.
5: Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the
6: person you share it with. So you write the books, Jean. I've on the business. I understand now, it's a wise man. Marie's a wiser woman.
0: Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called Survival Sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught, a history of courage and perseverance.
2: I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it.
6: And it was a history full of love.
0: The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible.
6: And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. From iHeart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Listen to a brand new season of Math and Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcast.
0: All right, so we're back. Let's talk about how this company actually delivers live streaming. That was Daniel's question. How does it work? Now, uh, a lot of live streaming is using a very similar method, but first it's good to say what it does not do.
4: Ah, uh, right. Because it's an intrinsically different system than, for example, YouTube.
0: Yeah. So YouTube, you've got pre-recorded user videos for the most part. I mean, YouTube has some live stuff now, but the right. bulk of its business is pre-recorded video. So with that. I would, for example, if I were uploading a video, it would upload to YouTube, then it processes and it's stored on YouTube servers, actually, usually multiple servers. For In redundancy, redundancy yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, we said at the same time we were being redundant. So uh, we were trying to <laughs> serve it up from a disk. You know, that's what YouTube actually pulls the, the video from some saved part on some server or servers and serves it up to you when you say, I want to watch this video. Uh, now, that is completely different from the way live streaming works. And one of the things that made it possible was that uh, this idea of peering networks. So I'll, I'll get to that. But but also to explain how peering networks are different, your basic uh, uh, server client relationship is very centralized. You've got a server that has all the information on it. And then you use a client, like a browser, mm-hmm. that then sends a query to the server, which says, oh, I know what you want. You want this, and sends it to you. Centralized, right?
4: Right, and that means that if too many people are trying to access that server at the same time, you're going to run into a little bit of lag, exactly. in, w- which comes down onto your end, because the server is going to say, oh, hey, wait a minute, I'm doing this other thing and this yep. other thing, yep. and, it, and it results in, in basically a load bar. Exactly, yeah. On it's your end.
0: Same sort of thing, like if, if Lauren had... Uh, uh, you know, she has, she has cookies at her desk and the entire office comes to her at the same time to get a cookie each. Uh, it's going to take a while because, uh, you know, it may be that she has a variety of cookies and we each want a different type of cookie. So Lauren being Lauren wants to be fair to everybody and tries to make sure that this happens. But Lauren also being Lauren gets overwhelmed with the fact that a whole bunch of cookie hungry maniacs are approaching her and wigs out. I mean, it just happens. So. That would be an issue of client-server. So how can you get around that? Well, if Lauren was able to clone herself and every single version of Lauren had a box of cookies and all of the box of cookies had identical types of cookies in them, like the whole variety, we could all go to different Laurens to get our cookies. The interesting thing is that, you know, they'd all have exactly the cookie we would want. I want a cookie.
4: I I like this bizarre universe you've set up.
0: Well, that's that's kind of the nature of peering. So... The other issue here is that if you have the pre-recorded material, you can do something called oversubscribing bandwidth. Now, that just means that you can serve more data than the network can actually accommodate at any given time. So let's say that I've got a five gigabyte limit on how much data I can push out at any given time, but I've got seven gigabytes of demand. All right. The way that oversubscription works is that I send out messages that tell all the different clients that are trying to access my stuff, hey, I'm getting to you. Here's some of the information, more of it's coming right now, but uh, just uh, just you know what? Do a little song and dance for the user. That's when you get the little buffer thing. Right. Mm-hmm. So with YouTube, if a video is buffering, mainly that just means that the service has a lot of traffic and it's trying to serve all of that traffic at the same time. So you're getting bits and bits of data that are buffering slowly so that once you hit a certain threshold, you can push play. And watch your video. And if smoothly. everything goes well. Yeah, exactly.
4: Hypothetically. Right. Exactly.
0: Yeah. If 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 it has buffered enough, you can push play and you can watch the video all the way through because at that point you're getting data faster than the video is completing. Now, anyone who's ever seen video buffer in the middle of a video know that that knows that that doesn't always work. Right. You know, sometimes it's just one of those things where the playback catches up to the amount of data that's come in and you have to wait longer.
4: Right. Okay, so how is how is this peering structure different?
0: All right. So it's decentralized. So instead of having that centralized server that all the different clients are contacting, you have a system, a network architecture where multiple servers are using copies of the same sort of thing. And all of them can take on a part of the work. So instead of one server where you, you know, you're just souping it up as fast as it can go so it can work as best as it possibly can, mm-hmm. you distribute it across an entire network. Uh, Google actually does this for their search. Huh. So for a Google search query, they have an entire network of servers that work together. That's why if you ever do that Google search and you look and it says it took 0.000083 seconds to, to, to answer this query. That's why, because they've got this distributed network. So just think of it as a group of people all taking some of the load so that no one server is overworked. Uh, now, these servers can be located in different data centers, which could be all the way across the world. Mm-hmm. They don't have to be co-located with anything or next to each other. And um, because of this, you've got these individual nodes, which have this uh, peering architecture that they're they're the peers. So the, each individual server is a peer in this peering architecture, and they act as both suppliers and consumers of resources. So each peer makes part of its computer resources available to the other peers. This is that sharing, that distribution of the load of any given computer request. So this way you can get a bunch of you know average servers together and network them together and get a better performance than if you just invest in that one super fast server. Right. It also makes it cheaper. Because you can just get off the shelf parts to build your servers instead of buying, you know, the next ultra fast. Exactly. Yeah. So it, and again, this is also what allows you to be have a lot of redundancy, because uh, you can you can get a bunch of uh, of inexpensive parts as opposed to well, we blew all our money on this one really fast machine that can't live up to our expectations.
4: So what happens? I mean, because I'm I'm sure that with the number of people who are using this service, what happens if demand exceeds even this capacity?
0: Okay, so. If there were no overflow method, you would all get a buffering message at the same time because all of these servers are working together. It's this whole it's like it's an all or nothing kind of situation. Uh-huh. Now, uh, the the peak use of Twitch was something like 10 times the amount of the average use, Oof. which meant that they had to build a network that could. Uh, withstand 10 times the normal use at least. And in fact, you want to have more than that to have a comfortable buffer. Sure. But even if it goes beyond that, this is something they learned from their Justin TV days. Uh, they wanted the ability to have an overflow capacity where they use something called a content delivery network or CDN. Now, this is a specific type of business. It's a distributed system of servers. So again, sort of a peering network, but this is kind of a peering network for hire. So you would, Use this if you wanted to create content and you wanted to be able to distribute it to a wide audience on a live basis. This is the sort of approach you would want to take. And this is what some companies like Netflix, they depend upon these sort of networks to deliver the stuff that they make. Some companies invest in their own like Twitch TV has its own network. But again, if it exceeds that capacity, they can then say, tap the shoulder of the CDN and say, go, hey, can you take over some of this stuff? Now, for these cases, it does mean that the company, whether it's Twitch TV or some other media company, has to pay for those services. You know, it's not a free thing, but it does mean that there's at least a safety net there should let's say that that there's some huge event that happens on Twitch TV that really gets the entire gaming world interested and they all want to watch it at the same time live streaming, then they might need to use that kind of Mm -hmm. uh, resource because the, the demand would exceed the capacity.
4: They also developed a load balancing software called Usher to help out a little bit in in high demand situations like that.
0: Yeah, this is really, really cool stuff. So Usher is kind of the... the the traffic manager, right? Usher identifies what requests are and how to fulfill those requests.
4: Uh, in, in other words, how, how many servers it needs to call upon in order to handle the demand that's coming in.
0: Right. So let's say that I'm going to stream the playing. Uh, I don't know, some game like I'm going to go back and play through some of the Halo games Okay. and I'm going to stream them live. Now, in that case, there's probably not going to be a huge demand. There aren't that many people who are that interested in watching a bald guy fail miserably <laughs> at playing Halo. Um I so, you never
4: know until you try. That's
0: true. But I'm assuming that this would not be one that Usher would be like, oh, alert the media. <laughs> so Usher, when getting the 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 message that I'm going to stream this video and then analyzing how much of the resources available were going to be necessary for to deliver upon that would contact various servers to make sure that it was covered. And usually we're talking about a capacity that exceeds what it expects for the demand. Now, if it were some uh, StarCraft II champions that had never faced each other before, and they were going to have a tournament-style game against each other to determine who is the true champion of StarCraft II... That could be big. That could be huge. And Usher would then make that determination and contact the various servers that would all be copying the stream... So that they could share it up to uh, to anyone that would want to uh, watch it. So then you've got uh, all these different factors that come into play that Usher will take into consideration. So not just how popular the stream is going to be, but how much is it going to cost to serve up the live video? Because, like I said, bandwidth is not necessarily free. And Usher can sit there and look and say, which one of these options is going to be the cheapest? Now, in some cases, like with that StarCraft II example, cheapest may not be the best response because they want to make sure that their customers, the viewers, are satisfied. Mm -hmm. So they might say, all right, you know what? We're going to incur a cost on this, but what we want to do is make sure we have the lowest latency possible so that... People who are watching are not experiencing like a 30 second lag behind sure. the action. So then Usher can prioritize uh, on the fly. And it apparently the controls here are incredibly precise so that you can tweak exactly which things are the most important for any given situation. So it's very versatile in that way, which I thought was really, really cool. Uh, now, every single server in that peer network can actually act as two different things. It can act as an edge server or it can act as an origin server. So edge servers, these are the machines that are actually serving up the video streams that we're watching. So if you log into Twitch TV so that you can watch someone else, you're getting that video feed from an edge server. Now the person who is making that video is sending it to what is called an origin server. Mm -hmm. That's the, that's the machine that's accepting the incoming video so it can distribute it to the edge servers. And because all the machines can do either role It makes it an incredibly flexible approach to delivering live video. And that's why Twitch.tv works. If it had a designated origin server and then designated edge servers, you would be limited by that capacity. Sure. Now, if you could actually visualize all these connections, it would look very much like a tree. So as people start to tune into a particular video stream, you would have more and more branches forming off of the trunk of that tree so that those servers would be able to deliver up the video most effectively to those users. Because, of course, users aren't centralized either, right? You could have users from all over the world tuning in for any given video stream. So you want to make sure that you can deliver the video stream the best possible way to any individual user uh, in the way that is going to make financial sense. So, I mean, it's, that's why Usher, I thought, is so impressive, because it can take all that into account. Now... How is this actually working on the back end? Like, what's going on? So with YouTube, you know, you're saving to disk. But with Twitch, you aren't. Twitch and Justin TV do not save video to a disk to serve it up. They save the, the video stream within the server's memory. So the video that's going to the origin server is saved in its memory. It is making copies of that video stream as it's being generated, sends those copies to the edge servers. Those copies stay in the edge servers memory, which then make a copy of that stream and send it to the clients, the browsers that people are using to watch the video stream. So it's copies and copies and copies. Now that's not to say that they don't save this information to disk. They do, but that's for archival purposes. So you can go back and watch a video that's been recorded previously, but it's not that, that disk saving thing. That is not,
4: version is not what's coming into play here.
0: Exactly. While you're watching it live, it has nothing to do with the fact that it's also being saved to disk. That's that's a completely separate thing that's going on. So when you're watching your browser, your your client uh, is sending in a request via HTTP. So hypertext protocol, you know, good old fun stuff. <sighs> we'll do an episode on it someday, <laughs> I promise. But anyway, uh it sends the HTTP request and Usher then accepts the request because, you know, he's a good guy. Uh, then he decides, oh, I'm sorry, I'm thinking of the software. Usher decides which server to connect you to, which edge server you would be connected to. And then the video servers themselves, they're, they're very simple. They're just either acting as edge or origin servers. So they're not making this determination at all. That's all the Usher software stuff. Running a business is no cakewalk.
5: As important as choosing the right destination when traveling, is choosing the right travel partner.
0: Jean. Eugene Fodor. Jean, what's Budden?
5: Much of the joy you will find on the road comes from the person you
6: share it with. So you write the books, Jean, and vlasta runs the business. I understand now. It's a wise man, Marie's a wise woman.
0: Listen to Fodor's Guide to Espionage on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
6: But We Loved is a podcast about queer history. I'm Jordan Gonsalves, your host. Growing up, I thought being gay was the worst thing I could ever be. The gay history I learned was tragic. Jerry had died of AIDS, and it's like, what is happening? It was survival. That's why it's called Survival Sex. But as I interviewed queer elders, I realized there was another history that I had never been taught, a history of courage and perseverance.
2: I wanted to take control of my story and not be ashamed of it.
6: And it was a history full of love.
0: The joy we found in saying husband again and again and again was incredible.
6: And while learning this new queer history from my elders, I realized they had so much wisdom to pass down. The key is to understanding yourself, learning to love and embrace yourself. From iHeart Podcasts, I'm Jordan Gonsalves, and this is But We Loved. Listen to But We Loved on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.
2: Listen to a brand new season of Math & Magic on our very own iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcast, or wherever you get your podcasts.
0: So in multiple data centers, uh, the data centers are actually located in proximity to major peering exchanges on the Internet. Now, a peering exchange is not the same thing as peer-to-peer networks. That, uh, it's two different concepts. A peering exchange is a point on the Internet where two major networks end up connecting to each other. So remember, the internet is a network of networks, right? So when you've got two big networks, like two big internet service providers, for example, that have a connection point, the purpose for that is to allow stuff that came from one network to cross over and enter another network. And these peering exchanges, they're agreements essentially that say, hey, as long as you let the stuff that comes from my, my network travel across your network, I'll let the stuff that comes from your network travel across my network, and we're all even Steven. Mm -hmm. Now, this is one of the points that net neutrality really makes important. They say this relationship is why we don't have to worry about any particular part of the network holding the rest of the Internet hostage by saying, if you want your traffic to travel on my network, you're going to have to pay me X amount of money per X amount of data. Right. That would be bad. That would that would. I mean, it'd be bad. It would break the Internet the way we have it today because you would make an uneven playing ground. And if other networks followed suit, it would just become this thing where uh, you would have your the the stuff you would have access to would be completely dependent upon what originated on your network.
4: Right. And who is paying who? Yeah. How much or who
0: wasn't paying who? Yeah. Yeah. So that's anyway, uh, again, tangential. But the reason why the peering exchanges are important is that by putting your data centers close to peering exchanges, you have a much closer connection to individual networks because this is kind of like the crossroads. If you're able to plant yourself near the crossroads, you can connect to all those different roads that split off from it very easily. So it's a very strategic move on the part of Justin.TV and Twitch.TV. So really the only thing left to talk about is the user experience. You've got a browser, you've got a uh, embeddable player inside that browser. That's what's handling the incoming video to play it on your, your screen. Same sort of thing as like an embeddable YouTube player or Blip TV. I mean, any of those embeddable players are doing the basic same thing. That's just, that's just the interface that allows you to watch whatever the data is. So really there's not a whole lot going on the client side. There's some load balancing stuff that comes from the client side, but not by, not a whole lot. Most mm-hmm. of it's on the back end.
4: Um, and, and same thing for the broadcaster. There's not a whole lot going on that the broadcaster has to manage. They basically just turn on their webcam. And yeah. use the client and go.
0: Yeah, you might have to have a little extra software depending upon where your video is coming from. Like, sure. Uh, like for example, when I needed to stream, uh, when I was playing Minecraft on the PC, uh, and I needed to stream that online, I had to download another piece of software that would allow me to take the video from the game and upload it to Twitch live. But, there are lots of different ways of doing that. And then when you've got things like the Xbox One and the PS4, it's incorporated directly into the consoles mm-hmm. through the firmware. So that one, that's taking care of it for you.
4: Oh, uh, right. This ease of usability, I think, is why it is in fact so stinking popular. Um, yeah. and, and, you know, those that 45 million unique users per month that we mentioned earlier is really is nothing to sneeze at.
0: No, that's huge. And, and the, it's not just that there are a lot of them. It's like the other thing you pointed out, Lauren. It's, there's a lot of them that are watching. For a really long
4: time. <laughs> yeah, they, they boast that per week as of fall 2013, that was more viewers than Breaking Bad, Tosh.0 and the NFL preseason combined.
0: That's yeah. I mean, that's a significant audience. And, you know, again, they they're really engaged. I mean, mm-hmm. if I go to YouTube and I watch a video, a lot of those videos tend to be three to 10 minutes long. You know, there's some that are longer and I'll watch those too, depending upon what. Uh, what I'm interested in.
4: You go, maybe a link along the side catches your eye and you watch something else, but probably you're going to click away.
0: Yeah. You don't necessarily stay there for, you know, more than one or two videos. If you do, I mean, that's cool. Oh, well, sure. That's but, fine, too. But that's probably not the average person's experience. Mm-hmm. You know, like a lot of people watch a YouTube video when it's embedded in something else, like a Facebook post.
4: The typical Twitch user, on the other hand, will stay on the site for hours. Uh, that, that average of 106 minutes per day. That we mentioned earlier. Yeah. That, um,
0: if that's an average, that means there are a lot of people watching way longer than that.
4: Oh, right. Yeah. Um, and, and the demographic that's going to Twitch is a really desirable one. The The majority is under 35. I think it's 21 to 29 is the main yeah. main portion.
0: Yeah. that That's the group of people that you say, hey, these people buy stuff.
4: Yeah. You've got lots of money and you're probably willing to give it to me.
0: Yeah. So you aren't smart enough yet to know <laughs> not to. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Uh, but yeah, Snap. it's also largely male, although there's a growing audience and a broadcast group of ladies as well. So we're starting to see that that demographic is slowly changing. I mean, obviously, gaming has been very much male dominated. It's still a niche market, right? Yeah, but we're starting to see a lot of females get into it uh, because they they find gaming just as awesome. Oh, of uh, course,
4: and and as as the community changes and as the general standards of the industry change. All of that is hopefully fingers crossed going to change across gender lines.
0: Right. So it's, it's again a growing market. So that's another reason why it's desirable. But I mean, that kind of engagement where you're going to stay focused on something for on average 106 minutes. That is why Google is so interested in, in Twitch.tv. Not only is it live, not only have they done live streaming and they've done it well, they, keep people there.
4: Yeah, yeah. As of now, YouTube has really only been toying with live streaming. It it just opened their YouTube live services up to the general population in December of 2013, and they haven't really done, I mean, it hasn't really seen that much traffic.
0: Yeah, the only other thing you can use is is like the Google Hangouts, where you can do a, a, a Hangout broadcast. And that ends up broadcasting on YouTube as well, mm-hmm. plus on Google Plus and that kind of stuff. Um, and I've used that a couple of times when I've been a guest on other shows. Really, I wasn't the one using it. They I was, I was yeah. participating in mm-hmm. it. But uh, yeah, it's still, like you said, it's a niche compared to something like Twitch.tv that has just this huge audience. So what would it mean if Google and Twitch joined forces to rule the galaxy?
4: Well, first of all, they might not be able to on a federal level. I, the 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 feds might try to block this deal based on anti-competition.
0: Laws. Mm. Yeah, by saying, hey, Google, you've already got YouTube. You've got you've got user generated video sewn up pretty much. Yeah,
4: you're the biggest content player and you're trying to merge with the biggest content streamer, and that's really not okay.
0: Mm-hmm. So that's so, a possibility. So that's a
4: possibility. But if it goes through, it would mean um access to Twitch users to Google's incredible infrastructure. Mm-hmm. Um therefore improving the video quality and uh, and lag times that users are currently experiencing, which I mean, Twitch has said themselves that they were not prepared for the kind of growth that they have seen and that it's a fabulous problem to have. But
0: yeah, it's but still a problem. It's
4: still a problem. Yeah. So
0: it, like I said, Google has a lot of experience with this kind of peering relationship, using it for other things as well. So uh, so in at least on a philosophical level, huh. it's from from architecture. It's sure. a good fit. I don't know how close Twitch's architecture resembles that of Google on a practical level, but philosophically they are very similar.
4: Right. And so it could mean really good things there. It could hypothetically mean more money for the people who are broadcasting. Twitch currently has some 4,000 partner casters who Mm -hmm. who are paid for their casts.
0: Yeah. When you get a certain number of subscribers, you tend to get the attention of Twitch. So let's say that you suddenly hit 70,000 subscribers. Twitch is going to say, hey... We should work together. Yeah, this yeah. could
4: be beneficial for everyone. Yep. Um, but Google could possibly do even more for these content creators. And, and if nothing else, integrate more seamlessly with search and with YouTube, increasing both ad revenue and um, audience participation. Cool. Um. Alternately, it could mean changes to the contracts of these professional live streamers, especially considering YouTube's pretty strict policies about copyrighted material and on, um, region locking content. Yeah. yeah. I mean, a, a thing that a lot of streamers do is they'll, they'll have live music. Well, not live music. I don't think that they have a band in their living room. Right, but, they but might no, have they'll something have something
0: playing in the background right. while they are playing a game. Mm-hmm. And so, YouTube
4: is not excited about that sort of thing. Well,
0: more importantly, the music industry is not not excited about that. They don't necessarily want their music associated with. There's also some control issues. Like uh, Nintendo, uh, oh, historically yeah. has been very, very protective of their of their video games and people who have put up. Uh, YouTube videos of them playing Nintendo games, a lot of them have experienced takedown notices yeah. because uh, Nintendo said, you know what? We want to have full control of this experience. We don't like the idea of other people uh, being able to do that. Although Nintendo started to ease up a little bit on that yeah. more recently. Yeah. But it's traditionally been an issue. And so there's no guarantee that every single game publisher is going to be totally be cool with it. it.
4: Sure. That's a whole that's a whole other issue that yeah. I really wish that Nintendo would get with. Um, sure. But back back on on the Google deal side, it it could hypothetically get other demographics than just gamers into this live Internet streaming kind of shtick.
0: Yeah, it's kind of the the, the whole purpose of Justin.TV in the first place. But Twitch.TV was the one that took that was the part that took off, off of Justin.TV. And now uh, now that people are getting more familiar or aware of this.
4: And also now that Twitch has grown it into a very usable process.
0: Yeah, that we might see more people get into this kind of, uh, live broadcast, uh, platform.
4: Yeah, for, for events large and small, for, for entertainment, maybe for, for science kind of discovery broadcasts for news.
0: I've seen a couple of podcasts use this sort of thing as to live stream when they were actually recording. So you oh, could cool. follow along. Now, before <laughs> any of you ask, That's not gonna happen with us.
4: I think in this in this recording alone we've stopped to cough about nineteen times. I in fact had to stop to cough before I recorded this line. She
0: actually started the line, stopped, coughed, came back and did it. Yeah, no. No one
4: no one wants that. That's not
0: sexy. We both have congestion issues. (laughs) So yeah, yeah. If you guys were watching live right now, it would be cough, 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 cough three paragraphs worth of information. Cough, cough, cough. Yeah, that, that how it works section took us forever because of me. So, uh yeah, we will not be doing that. And even when we're feeling well, still not doing it. So uh, um, uh
4: but but at any rate, I mean, you know, this this could this could hypothetically change television as we know it. it. This could be the bridge between network broadcasts and Internet viewing.
0: Yeah, we could actually see very regionalized approaches to stuff as well as, you know, more global appeal kind of broadcasts. Uh, I, I've seen. Some communities do kind of a a local news broadcast for that community. Mm -hmm. This sort of thing would allow it's kind of like the public access in in that sense and that it's a live way to uh, communicate information out, whether it's entertainment or educational or news or whatever. You can do that on a specific schedule. The other advantage is, of course. It does record the video. so even if you aren't able to tune in live, you can still watch it, which gives an advantage over other types of live broadcasts.
4: Ah uh, sure, and it's it's on demand all the time. It's on the internet. Anyone in the world hypothetically can tune into this.
0: Yeah. so let's say that you move away from your hometown, but you want to keep tabs on it, that could potentially be a way of that happening.
4: Mm-hmm. Or so, if one performer becomes very popular and and explodes across you know into other communities, then yeah, that's wonderful.
0: We're still waiting. Make us explode, people. <laughs> you know, in popularity, that is. Yes. Yeah. Please. Thank I you. To be more I like specific. most
4: of my atoms where they are. Yeah. yeah. I,
0: I'm pretty fond of where my my constituent atoms happen to be as well. So anyway, that's that's the lowdown on Twitch.tv. It'll be really interesting to see how this Xbox and PlayStation incorporation ends up um, shaking out. Yeah. And whether or not the Google deal goes through. Of course, all of you guys know possibly by the time this podcast goes live whether or not that happened. We are still in the dark as of the recording. So I'm really curious to see how it works out. I Yeah. I, I really think it's an exciting development. Um thank you so much, Daniel, for the question.
4: Uh yeah, and and also I mean, you know, for, for everyone out there who uses Twitch and is worried about the deal, uh, you know, I I understand. It's mm-hmm. it's scary whenever Google buys a property that you are very fond of.
0: Especially given Google's habit of, you know, saying, huh. I don't know how to do this anyway and then shut it down.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, but you know, I, I think that it could very much be an excellent opportunity for many industries. So
0: I think, uh, the other important thing to take away from this is the idea of Microsoft trying to buy Twitch and being turned down should give all of you Sony PlayStation 4 owners a big Hope. sigh of relief.
4: Yes. Right.
0: I mean, I can only imagine if, and Google has somewhat of a vested interest in this, but Google doesn't have its own gaming console out right you could argue that android is a platform for games but it's just one platform it's not the, the main purpose for android um but you know since they don't have a vested interest necessarily in whether microsoft succeeds over sony You don't have to worry about Twitch suddenly losing support for something like the PlayStation 4, which is something I would legitimately worry about if Microsoft had bought Twitch. I would really be curious to see how they would resist that urge. So at least that that danger is not on the table anymore. Daniel, thank you again for your suggestion. If you would like to send us a message like Daniel did, well, if you want to be just like Daniel, you need to do the email thing. And our email address is at discovery.com. Or you can drop us a line on Facebook or Twitter. Our handle is techstuffhsw. Hey, we got a Tumblr too, which is awesome. Textuphsw for that as well. So check that out. Leave us a message. Let us know what you think. Give us suggestions for topics. And we will talk to you again really soon. That's C-O-N-C-U-R It's brand new season two.